Hey everyone, my name is PK. Here I have Jenny Moll, um, who I'm really grateful to have on this episode. She's not a person trying to sell you anything. In fact, I posted on my Facebook group, I said, you know, is anyone here like a real, just human, real life property investor who can share their journey, what's and all, like all the failures, successes, challenges, hardships, success, et cetera, et cetera, for the benefit or betterment of the wider community, I think. We don't really get to hear so many just grassroots on the ground stories from real people who are just not selling anything. So have no agenda, have no bias, have no like anything motivated to tell you. And so I think that's kind of rare. So Jenny, she's a shift worker in logistics. She's, I think she's got a fifth property now. She started um, in around 2017. We might talk about in terms of like how to be a property investor, being like a a, a single mom and really hustling and, and, you know, kind of managing everything. She's done some developments. She's got an incredible story, which I'm actually quite keen to hear as well, but um, I'll let her talk about it. Thank you, Jenny, so much for uh, making time. Oh, thank you, PK. Thank you for having me on. I do thoroughly enjoy sharing with people. I, I think we share a similar uh, purpose um, in that sense, in that I love to share and hopefully inspire, whether it be people similar similar to myself, solo parents, or um, yeah, just just people that, especially if they feel like they're down and out, mm. and you know, you know that moment when you want to give up. So I think we're we're similar in that sense. Right. So thank you very much for having me on. No, I'm I'm very grateful. I mean, the idea is to inspire and educate and also to give people a realization of what it really takes um, to be a kind of long-term property investor. Welcome to the Oz Property Investment Mastery Podcast. My name's PK and I help busy people build passive income by buying top 5% growth and cash flow property and build a portfolio using data without wasting months doing research, spending weekends at inspection or catching flights or dropping ten dollars to $20,000 on buyer's agents every single time. So if you're confused, lack confidence and just overwhelmed with all the information and marketing misinformation available online and don't know where to start, then this show is for you. Should we just go straight? I mean, we'll start from the start at some point, but let's just pick on what you just said, because I think that's very interesting when people are down and out. Like, when have you been down and out and and what have you, how did that feel? And then how did you come out of that from a property perspective or a mindset perspective? I think the hardest part was um, when my daughter's dad and I separated um, when she was 18 months old. So I think that was probably, it was a really tough time. I don't know, you're a parent, you probably understand, but an 18-month-old child just only recently gone back to full-time work from my maternity leave, um, adjusting to that, being away from my child for 12 mm-hmm. and a half hours at a time mm-hmm. overnight, being shift worker, those sorts of things. So I think I think that that was a hard, adju- that was a hard adjustment, like how am I going to do this all on my own? Mm-hmm. Um, and also the properties because we'd bought four in the 15 months leading up to when she was born. Right. And very highly leveraged. So I didn't plan, you know, I didn't go into it thinking, oh, well, you know, maybe two years I might have to sell or or refinance or anything like that. It was a kind of like a, it was a long-term plan. And, and then all of a sudden it was a less than a three-year plan. It kind of changed and I had no no control and no say in it, I guess. Hmm. I think what's um quite 
I mean, I think people can relate to maybe not exactly that specific kind of situation, but I think so many of us, including me, we can relate to like feeling like there's a lot of burden on our shoulders that we can't control. And like, you know, when there's one burden, like you lose your job, it's like, that sucks, but you can kind of deal with it when there's two burdens and or three or four, like, you know, when you're a parent, you know, it's, it's, it's a burden of love. You know, you always think about your kids, you want to spend time as much of it as possible with them. But then if you get a curveball and then something just shatters that, like it's kind of debilitating in a, in a lot of ways. How, like, how did you deal with that? Cause I mean, we'll get to property and, and everything like that, but I want people to realize that property is as much a mindset game as it is a finance or suburb selection, property selection game. So how did you cope with that? And what were the stories that, that you told yourself either to come out of that or what were the stories that perhaps you were telling yourself that were further entrenching you in that? Yeah. It's it's funny because we can say it's not related to property, but I think property actually got me through it, right? right. So, um, you know, some people don't like distractions, but when something so big happens in our life, our focus can be solely on the problem, right, because it's so intense. And I think property actually gave me um, something that I could control, something that I could trying to be good at, I could learn more about, I could throw myself into. Um, and, and the loneliness as well, right? Because I went from having a household with with a family mm. to having, you know, a lot of time on my own. And and, and there's, there's friends and there's dinners and things like that, but there's still going to be that hour before bed or, you know, there's still going to be those times. And I actually think that it was property that was, a welcomed distraction um, and something that I could really throw myself into. Right. Um, I'm not a psychologist, so I'm not telling everyone to <laughs> win problems. But at the end of the day, I was working through them. Like I, I, I think I kind of compartmentalised it, to be honest, because I had um, professional, my psychologist, mm -hmm. um, and I had my meditation um, and I had journals and I had ways of, of expressing myself and friends and family. But I think property was the one part that actually lifted me. And I think when we can't control a situation, we make, I think I just made a choice whether I wanted to, to live in that space or whether I was, I was like, it's just eventually life's got to go on mm. and it's a choice. And that's a lot of meditation. <laughs> <laughs> was it like something about real estate or, or property specifically that you became really passionate about and it was your kind of boat um, to the other side of, of the river, so to speak? Or could it have been anything? It just so happened to be that you were thinking about property and acting upon property. Well, I think so mindfulness is something right so let's just say I took up a different hobby right let's just yep. say I took up knitting or something that was relaxing or something like that I've got ADHD so my mind will still tick when my mind is really focused on something that's it, it's so complex property investing isn't easy it's got the taxation it's got the like it is yeah, I've worked in a lot of industries and this is a very complex industry as an investor to know the whole picture, right? And so I think it actually gave me, you know, a space that I could 
learn and feel good and feel good about that if that makes sense, and it utilised my brain. So I, I, I didn't have space to think about it in those moments, right? If I'm no, studying tax law <laughs> or something else, um, I don't have, I'm not thinking about all the other problems in the world. So, you know, I, I, it, it's a hobby for me, but I don't, that's the only thing I've got. I don't know, PK, you're the first person to ask <laughs> that question. I haven't had to think about that yet. <laughs> I, I asked you that question because I, I, I can genuinely, I'm not just saying that, I can genuinely, really, I don't know if I got ADHD or not, but my mind is always ticking. I, like you kind of suggested for yourself, I like I'm one of these people, like here on the other side of my pool, I've got these like deck chairs and if I lay on them after two, literally two minutes, I'm like, what am I doing? Like, <laughs> this feels so unproductive. I need to do a put on a podcast or something like that. It's it's kind of a blessing and a curse at the same time. So that, that's kind of why I was asking, was it? But property for me as well is so juicy because there's so many angles. And I think why you and maybe myself and so many others love property is that yes, it's complex. Yes, it's hard, so to speak. But it's it's also conquerable. I don't know if you get that sense. Like once you do dive into the world that is Australian real estate, you can conquer it. Is that a fair statement, or what do you think about that? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I that's part of it. So maybe I'm a control freak, but I think that's part of it, right? So it's something that I can become good at, and I can be strategic with. So I agree. It's it, it does actually, like, it, it just is possible to conquer, right? It doesn't matter who you are or how much you know or how little you know or who your contacts are. I don't I don't have any family. So, like, I've said it a few times before, but, like, my dad shook his head, you know. I can still remember that look when I told him I bought my fourth, fourth property. That, I mean, it's not that he was disappointed in me. It's more so that he's very conservative, right? right. So, like... I guess it gives me a space to just aim towards big things because they're achievable, PK. I agree. I agree. <laughs> and, and then, like, I mean, you took it, you've taken it to the next level where um, I presume this is after your separation. Like, you you got so into it that you started, correct me if I'm wrong, you started doing developments or on the lending side. Like, for me, when I take up a new thing and I and I deep dive into it, I clear my plate. I'm like, okay, I've organized this part of my life to be like low stress. I've organized that other part of my life to be on hold. And I'm just going to go really into this, you know, whatever it is, development. Um, For you, it seems you don't have that luxury because being a single mom is obviously like the hardest thing in the world. I I was just (laughs) thinking, oh, my God, that sounds amazing. I would be so so good at property if I had that option. Right, (laughs) right. I still have to take out garbage bins. I have to still do washing. I think it was – and I'm still working full time as well. So, So like, how how do you – How can I just interject and say, like, just tell me how you did that? Because property development is not for the faint-hearted. Like, how did you manage that? <sighs> there was a lot of night, late nights. There was a lot of nights. I remember one night in particular because I've worked 12 and a half hour shifts. And, and it's not like this all the time, okay? So, like, people don't go, oh, I can't do that. It, it is just peaks and troughs, right? Mm-hmm. But I was trying to settle the loan for my first development purchase and we had a lot of issues. I was paying something like $400 a day in late fees that mm-hmm. we weren't settling on it. Um it was it was very complex. Um, my first purchase in a trust, um, and there was a lot of complexities um, with the loan paperwork. Having to the broker 
didn't realise initially that we had to get um, a solicitor to, you know, sign off on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you're probably familiar with that, but in a trust the guarantor and those sorts of things. So he missed that. So it was like we were constantly applying, like sending the final paperwork off, final paperwork off, and it just never ended. And I can remember one night I hit a reset button because it was it was just all over the place and sometimes you do have to make those sacrifices. I'm not saying everyone should do this. Um, but I remember coming home and I'd worked three 12-and-a-half-hour shifts in a row, so I get up at 4.30 in the morning, I get home at 6 at night. I'm still taking my garbage bins out. I'm still making my dinner. I'm still washing my clothes. Feeding the kids and all that sort of thing. (laughs) Yeah, well, my daughter would have been at her dad's when I was on those shifts, but nonetheless. Um, And I remember, like, staying up until, and I I I had to get up at 4.30 again the next morning. I think it was about 1 in the morning. And I got home and I didn't eat. I didn't do anything. I just said to myself, I have to get my head around this because I'd lost confidence in the profession like the professional at the time because a few things had been missed and it was kind of like that I had a a fork in the road basically where I I can't keep just trusting and and waiting for other people to give me the right information Mm -hmm. I just had to get my head around it so you know this thick of paperwork with all trust deeds that are stamped and you know all the things and certified I had to yeah and I sat there and went through the checklist I photocopied bits of paper, I highlighted stuff, and I just worked through every document. And and some documents don't even relate. So it says in the checklist it's X, Y, Z, and the actual document doesn't say it's X, Y, Z. So, like, process of elimination. And and if that gives you an idea of a a 12-and-a-half-hour shift from 4.30 in the morning until, you know, um, whatever it was, midnight, whatever it was in the end, but that's just once. It's one day out of your life. But if I didn't do that, it was just spiraling. Does that make sense? Yeah, it it does. It does. I think um, those things don't happen every day, but I think you still need to have the mental fortitude and stability and, and resilience to meet them to meet those days to meet those challenges as and when they occur now i don't want to freak people out like that does not happen no, in standard property and investing. that's probably one of the worst <laughs> yeah <laughs> like that is a that's kind of a um, an exception rather than the rule but i'm just trying to relate this and so people get value there are so many people out there who um, let's say work hard jobs you know they their husband wife or whatever they're both working they've got a couple of kids and they're like okay like i understand that I don't want to rely on the pension when I retire. I understand that I need to transfer or transform my active income into passive income. I get all these things, but I just don't have the time. I just don't have the intelligence. I don't have the knowledge to do anything about it. And because they don't have the time or the knowledge, they don't do anything because they're so scared. That's like, it's not even analysis by paralysis. It's like, I don't even have done the analysis. I'm just paralyzed to take action because what if something goes wrong? And I mean, you you experienced like the ultimate, what if something goes wrong with your separation? I don't know how it works with the assets being split or anything like that. But just for those people, can you give us some advice on, on like just how to take action, how to just begin, how to take the first step more from a, a mindset or mentality perspective? I think that's where people fall over. They just don't do anything. Yeah. 
it's yeah it can and yeah a lot of people I mean throw their hands up I threw my hands up so I looked I wanted to buy my first property when I was 17 I didn't buy my first property until I was 35 like I'm not even talking like a family home I mean like my first purchase to sign like as you know a contract of sale um so I, I get it is what I'm saying mm-hmm. if that makes sense we didn't have forums. We didn't have podcasts. You know, I was reading the domain out of the back of the newspaper every every week for 18 years or 17 years, if that makes sense. <laughs> so I've been there is what I'm saying. Um, and I think maybe the biggest part of that is it's never too late as well. So, you know, for those that um, perhaps have, have, have thought they've missed some boat or I don't have enough education, I didn't know what I was doing throughout those 17 or 18 years, but I learned. You can always learn anything. We can learn anything. And it's if you've got a thirst for knowledge and you've got um, a desire, I think, is really important too. So I think identifying what, what you want, I think, is part of it, right, because if you if 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 you hopped in a car in this day and age and you've got your apple play maps and everything up there and you just drive you could drive forever you could go any direction you know which is a liken to strategy but if there's no destination how are you where are you going and how will you know when you get there how do you how do you get how do you find the best route for you to get there and it might seem like a silly analogy um but it's what i use so i think i think if people can spend the time to sit down and work out what's important to them, what they what they want their desired future state to be like, um, if people can do that and get really clear on it, like like it took me a year and a half recently to get clear on accepting I'm going to stay in this house forever and not the big dream home, home that I wanted, right? It took me a year <laughs> and a half. <laughs> That's a lot of time. Um, but I sat with myself. I didn't push myself to make any decisions. I just worked through the emotions involved and that, and through meditation and things like that. And taking that time to get that point, then it's just everything goes because you know where you're going. Your motivation's there, your why, your reasons is there. And any times that are tough and low, you draw on those. Right, right. I think uh, one thing that, people struggle with including myself is like how to just sit with yourself and ask yourself what your goal is or what your why is it's very I find it tough and I've been meditating for a long time I still find it tough for like just blocking out all the noise all the you know devices and just like sitting alone and for like five minutes ten minutes or whatever it is and and just self-reflecting it's very confronting sometimes um how did you do it like can you give some tips in terms of like I don't mean to say like oh breathe like this or breathe like that but like how how do you sit and meditate and actually understand what your your burning desire in life is like how do we actually create that why from a a practical perspective I I have a little bit of an advantage because I've done a post-grad in change management so (laughs) I've got a bit of an advantage for that you know that but nonetheless it's it's, there's a lot of basics um but the Guided meditation is where I started um, and there are lots of short ones and I think building up to it, mm-hmm. what meditation has taught me is to not judge myself in, in 
in moments, especially, right? So one of the things that I, I, I learned when I first started to meditate was I'm not good at this. Oh, my God, my thoughts are still going left, right and centre. Um, you know, my toes itchy, my my back's sore, or what's what's out of my ear? Like that's that's normal and that's okay. But it's like anything, right? We get better at it with time and practice. So if you dedicate, like, just dedicate a habit, dedicate five minutes a day. It doesn't have to be big. Um, to a med- to meditation, guided. I do recommend unless I've got a professional um, because it teaches you your breathing. So, you know, holding your breath at the top, you would know all of these things. So holding your breath at the top, um, kind of, what, what is the, can't even remember the actual specifics, but basically it, it calms the body through the breathing. You breathe out longer than you breathe in, you know, the standard speaker. I know you're nodding because you get it. I love this stuff, yeah. <laughs> People are probably wondering why are we talking about this on a property podcast, but it's so it's so important. And I should also say, Jenny, like a bit like you came to that realization that actually do I need or do I want a dream home or am I happy to live in here? Like you might start meditating, right? I don't know if you experienced this, Jenny, and you might be like, Actually, I thought I wanted to become a property investor because of all those ads that I see, all these success stories. But actually, that's it doesn't really vibe with me. Like if I actually am in tune with myself, maybe passive income isn't for you. Maybe like financial abundance isn't your ultimate goal in life. And that's completely fine. It's about at least achieving that state of realization. Or you might feel or you might find that I do want that. And it's completely okay in the spirit of not judging. It's fine to want a million dollars. It's fine to want a hundred K passive income. It's fine. It does not make you hedonistic. It does not make you a bad person, but at least come to that realization and then you can do something about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's how it all works for me. And it's, I do a lot more work probably on you probably your all your suburbs and your data and I love data. Mm-hmm. Um but professionals like yourself and, and professionals, that's their job. I've got to work 40 odd hours a week elsewhere <laughs> doing other things, right? Um so I tend to narrow in what I do based on that. So I have limited capacity and it's always about maximizing my knowledge in line with my capacity but what never wavers is always building on those um and they call them secondary skills but they should be primary but they're secondary um skills which is you know one of my favorite articles is um the making of a corporate athlete and it basically says um the healthy performance pyramid says that you know exercise diet all of those things meditation all of those things enable you to to perform at a level um, that you might not be able to without them. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. totally. That's it's almost like I I I want my audience to give me permission to talk about these things more, and I'm very happy that you're you're bringing them up because I I couldn't relate more. Even if it seems trivial, it's like if you've gone for a run or you've done some exercise in the morning. And you're just you're just ha- living this all rounded life, right? And then you get that 
call of doom from your property manager saying the hot water cylinder is broken down or whatever. It's like your ability to manage that emotionally, of course, financially as well, is so much healthier if if you are a more all-rounded individual. And instead of thinking, oh, that's the third, third hot water cylinder in three properties that's gone bust in three years, forget this property investing and just the hell with it. It's not worth it. You're, you're still able to see the forest and the trees. You're like, okay, yeah, that's not ideal, but I have a goal that I'm working towards. It's just being able to have that context at all times. It's about being able to, um, you know, be in this world, but, you know, not of this world, so so to speak. It's just, just being able to see things and have a relationship with your mind as opposed to being with your mind. You know, you're not your mind. You have a relationship with your mind. That's one thing that I always try to tell myself when something like this happens, easier said than done. But yeah, that's why we should um, do that. What was it? This Was it pyramid? What did you call that? Oh, the making of a corporate athlete. Yeah, and there was um, that pyramid that you were talking about? Yeah, or? so it's the Healthy Performance Pyramid. So it's basically a sports psychologist, uh-huh. um, Jim Loher. Um, and, yeah, you'll find it on Harvard um, Business website, um, the article. So, And I think anyone might – I think you can get free access up to five a month articles or something like that. So I highly recommend people look it up. It, it's been very powerful for me um, to remind me that – these are the things, even, even when it seems like you don't have time, they're the times that you need to do it more because it actually gives you, you can do better work in shorter time and more focused. There's, you actually perform better by sacking that half an hour, not sacking, but by utilising half an hour rather than the actual issue and problem at hand. Mm-hmm. By saying I'm going to walk away, I need to I need to get out. I'm going to go to the beach. I'm going to go for a walk along the beach, or I'm going to go to the gym and just tune out for a bit and come back. And you can get a lot of that work done. Whereas you might be sitting there for the next three days trying to solve that problem or or deal with that issue, um, like you're saying with the hot water system. So yeah, that, that's fair. That's fair enough. And how's your strategy change like you know since 2017 when you started the property uh, journey has your because everyone always says start with strategy as if mythically our strategy in five or 10 or 15 years will be the exact same as when we first started how's yours shifted and, and like why is it shifted <laughs> so I'm all about agile change management right. so <laughs> that's 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 I, I'm very much so about remaining agile because I think when I think when we box us, we we draw a path, and that's the only path we see. When things come at us, we can't pivot, right? And you can't control everything. So you've got like my personal circumstances for me, but then you've also got external interest rates are rising. You know, there's there's things you can't control. Yeah. And we can live in a place that oh, it's not fair. It's it's or we just have we we focus on being agile and being able to ensure that we're moving around. And so when we bought the four properties, they were worth one point nine two mil um, in total, and at five percent on that is a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. We then um, basically I had a plan on to pay them down in fifteen years. I was paying principal and interest on them. That was it. And then it's just passive income. I'm not saying it's the best strategy, right? It's a lazy strategy. But what that meant was that if I had that there, 
I still had opportunity to do other things, right? That was the worst case scenario. So if you can find a strategy that's a worst case scenario, you can always improve on it, right? You just need to keep an eye out for opportunities. Basically with the, the 15 years to pay it down, I was 35 when I bought it, would have been 50, 50, 100K. It's simple. It didn't, so you can see now, it also didn't rely on any growth. Mm. My strategy, my base strategy didn't rely on growth. I'm not saying this is perfect. I'm just saying this is what I did because I knew worst case scenario, that's where I'd be. All I had to do every month was pay X amount off the mortgages. That's it. It was simple. Um, but, of course, I lost half, not lost, I shouldn't say lost, but we separated the assets. Um, so, and we borrowed two were 98% lend, one was 96 and the other one was 80. So they're highly leveraged as well. <laughs> and not the growth we've seen the last two years either at the time. So it was, it was, it was a bit scary in that sense. I, I couldn't keep all four. He, I, my daughter's dad said to me, it's your empire. But I had to buy him out. I didn't have any money, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, but I traded, I traded cash for assets, and you know I, I negotiated five thousand emergency money, and you know he got the cash, I got the assets because I knew, if that makes sense, as long as I can put food on the table, those assets it's compounding, right? So it was better that I took higher valued properties than it was the cash side of it. So that was a, you know, maybe a risk that I took, but I just that's how it works, PK, right? Yeah, no risk, <laughs> no gain. No risk, no gain. So how many of them do you still have? So I kept two um, post-settlement or uh, post-separation, um, title transferred, all of them. It was a little bit, it was all through COVID. It was very, it was really, it was quite complex because you could get stamp duty exemptions and it was very complex, trust me. Um, and when I before just just before I refinanced, um, I sat with um, my broker and said, "I, I want to, I, I don't want to keep, I, I want to maximise this, right? I want this done, but I want to get the best out of it." Um, and so she sourced for me different valuations to ensure, like, to see if I could release some equity. So we, I maxed everything at that point in time. Interest rates were low. If that makes sense, it was right mm. on that, you know, two point. I think one of mine was fixed at two point four nine. One of my investments, interest only, you know, so that helped with my servicing, right? Um, and I released um, cash during that. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do with it because I'd maxed my servicing, right? Um, and there's potentially other things that I've learned since then that I, I could have done, but at that point, I only had the knowledge that I had at the time. Um, and so I, that was when I became a private lender. So I released that money thinking, what's the worst thing that can happen, right? I put it in the offset. Like there is no, there is no loss from this. I, I could pay it off the loan tomorrow if I needed to for whatever reason. But I wanted to take advantage of that point in time because it might not be there again and it's not now. So I can't even refinance what I have now, right, because of the rate rises. So it's just... Seeing an opportunity, seeing that I was transferring the titles, I was refinancing the loans, let's just do it all. Um, and then two weeks later, I became a private lender, so <laughs> for a development. So 
I didn't know when I released it that's what I was going to do, um, but I just knew that I'd know what to do with it when the opportunity came up. And that's that's such a large, at least in my mind and the way that I think, that's such a dramatic shift in strategy from like just paying your houses off, which is, like you said, like boring but safe and and that's fine, to being a private lender, which is probably on the other side of the spectrum. Like you're, and let me know if this is what it is, right? You're yeah. you're lending money in like a joint venture or a commercial loan type yes. arrangement to a developer to do a development deal, and that development deal may or may not be profitable. You may or may not get your principal back what to speak of any interest or or profit share on top um why sorry if this is a little bit of a personal question but why did you pivot so much like why did you go or in your mind was it not risky because you actually had done so much due diligence on the project and the developer I saw I saw that I couldn't keep the same strategy I didn't have the income so my household income had halved so I didn't have the income that we're paying the principal and interest I didn't have the servicing to leverage. I had lost a million dollars worth of property and asset assets. So, but I didn't want to lose the goal. Yeah. <laughs> See, so that's like I said before. I had a goal, right? Otherwise, I might have made different decisions. But I, I then thought, well, how else can I still ha- achieve a hundred thousand passive income with no mortgage on my home? By the time I'm 50, I'm 41 now, like it's getting there. <laughs> like yeah. It's getting close. Well, I would have been 40 at the time. Um, so it's getting close. It, it, it's not like I've got 30 years for this to happen. And I might not get there, but I'm going to give it my best shot, right? Because if I even if I fall short, even if it's 52 or even if it's working part-time instead of full-time or I've still got $100,000 on my mortgage, that, on my house, it's better than nothing, right? And it, it is achievable. And I have I have a strategy to achieve it. Uh, it's mapped out. And that. I'm on the way to to doing that. And it means I want to I, I break things down into checkpoints. <laughs> so so otherwise it's overwhelming, right? The how and the strategy can be so overwhelming. So I I basically want to make six hundred thousand dollars on top of my income. In five years. Amazing. Amazing. I, I, for me, the biggest thing like was that statement that you said, like, but I gave it my best shot. Like, even if you don't get to like an explicit goal by the time you're 50 years old, you've given it your best shot. And I think there's a, a sense of respect, self-respect and dignity and pride in in actually taking action. Like you said, breaking it down and and being practical about it but taking action and doing something there was I think my grandfather or something used to say that um you know what was that what was that quote he's like um tell people that you're shooting trying to shoot for the rhinoceros mm-hmm. because even if you don't get the rhinoceros no one's going to blame you because it's like really hard to <laughs> kind of not the best quote in in this day and age but um you know you know what I mean it's like go yeah. for such a big goal that if you get it, that's great. But if you even if you don't, you're still going to achieve something massive compared to if you hadn't gone for it. Yeah. So it's <laughs> I just like, got goosebumps. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. And I think like this is like we didn't really go into like tactics and like where to buy and what to buy and et cetera. But I think this type of conversation 
is actually something that will provide more fuel to people's financial independence than if we had spent half an hour talking about what is the boom suburb or, you know, should I buy in a trust or a company or personal names and all that kind of thing. I don't think this sort of conversation happens enough. And I think I'm just conscious of time. Last question I'll ask you, um, Jenny, is if you, I mean, there's no such thing as regret because everything is a, is a learning experience. But for all the women out there um, that could, can relate to you or may relate to you in the future, what's one piece of advice? You know, let's say there's a a 20 something um, year old, a female who's just graduated university and, and she watches this interview and she's like, I want to become like Jenny, um, you know, like when I, for the next 10, 20 years, or maybe there's like a 55 year old woman that's thinking, oh, look, I would have loved to do what Jenny has done, but I'm too old now. Like what kind of advice can you give to women to, to kind of impart upon them your knowledge? I, I was on a cruise last weekend and an elderly couple randomly said, hi, how are you? Where are you from? Newcastle. Um, and the elderly couple said, you don't know anything about property down there, do you? What are the chances? <laughs> anyway, turns out he's actually a developer and um, owns a, a business brokerage. Irrelevant. However, um, it's funny because he's, he would have been in his 80s and he said to me, he touched me on the hand and he said to me, you know what? Women are so much better at property than what men are. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not I'm not doing the, the man female thing, but if you can see there are advantages. We if you see them as disadvantages, there's advantages. People are not as uh, people want to help us more. People are more inclined um, to have conversations. Um, we're not as intimidating, if that makes sense. There are so many benefits I guess being a woman in this industry but it's all about perspective so yeah. seeing what those benefits are I guess and we can do anything honestly every single person can do anything they want to do we're our own worst enemies in in the limitations that we put on ourselves um and I hope that people can see that I, I mean I'm doing a development that like I'm, I'm moving a house. I'm subdividing property. I'm moving a house to the rear and putting it on an angle because I've got three easements on there. And a when you put it like that, it's like I'm, I'm moving like this big, you know, four-ton house. Like that's a big deal. <laughs> but I'm moving a house to a rear and, and building a project built duplex at the front, subdividing and stratifying three. Do I know what I'm doing? No. I'm just doing it. I'm doing it as I go. I'm learning as I go. I'm, I'm calling on resources, I'm, you know, asking, like working with people and I think that's the big part of it. Don't be so daunted because it's actually, it's not a bad thing when you don't know much because people want to help. People aren't as inclined to help the know-it-alls, <laughs> if that makes sense, right? So, you know, it's that that concept of humble inquiry um, and I think if if we believe that we can might have boss years ago and he said you just need to be smart enough and you can learn anything what smart enough means i don't know it wasn't my quote um <laughs> but the concept that you can learn anything that's all it is figure out 
you know, draw up a plan. I'm going to sit with five brokers this over the next week, one every week. I'm going to make an appointment with five local brokers and, and just ask them what their thoughts are on XYZ or, um, you know, I sat with so many brokers before I bought my first. <laughs> I was door knocking everybody, but I was learning along the way. Yeah. And I found people that took me under their wing and, and genuinely wanted to help me. And I since have a fantastic professional team. Yeah. So be someone that people want to work for, people and, and someone that people enjoy working with. Have an energy, give back, um, excite people. Um, if you can take people on your journey, if you can be excited about something, people generally want to come on board. People mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how to get that passion because I swear I was just born with the property passion. And uh, <laughs> no, I can say uh, it's definitely contagious. And and if you're smart enough, you can learn anything or I think smartness in that context perhaps is just humility, as you referred to as well. If you're humble, you can re- you can learn anything because you're never going to be the smartest person in a particular topic anyway. So you might as well be humble and go to all the smartest people around you, learn off them, and then achieve your goals. Like I think that's a a pretty clever way to go about it. So I I love that you've shared that journey, and I think your story. I mean, we didn't really do it justice. You know, I could talk for for a long time about it and your whole journey. Maybe we will in a future um, time, but I I think it will serve to inspire and and educate um, both men and women, but hopefully especially women to see, to kind of change the stories that they tell themselves. Everyone tell, we all tell ourselves stories from the morning we wake up in the morning, but I don't know if this is a fair statement, but I think some people tell themselves more negative stories than positive stories. And just by replacing the quality of content that we consume from our own mouth, from our own minds, um, through stories like yourself, we can kind of replace them with more positivity. I know it sounds a bit woohoo and all that kind of thing, but it's honestly a dead set fact. (laughs) Absolutely. Because that negativity is not going to inspire anyone to to do big and, and take risks and do more because if you tell yourself you can't, then you can't. So it's just replace those stories, PK, agree. And I even so much so lately replaced um, telling myself you've got this in those hard times, you've got this, to I've got this. Even just that one word, right? Yeah. It sounds silly, like you're saying. It sounds woohoo. But even that has been very powerful for me. So it's the small things. Replace them. Find a new sentence. Write down all the bad ones and replace them. Find something that replaces it and just consciously make that decision. I agree. Yeah, changing your vac- your internal vocabulary, it's so powerful. Um, anyway, we can talk about that for ages, but I, I do I should wrap it up and, and honor your time. So thank you so much, Jenny. I, I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, I know you're very active on multiple Facebook groups, and you're one of these people who always give back and is trying to help everyone out. But when I do share this episode on my podcast and YouTube and Facebook group, Australian Property Mastery with PK, I will tag um, Jenny and. Um, people can comment and ask questions or, or DM you. Are you okay with that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just keep it professional, but yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Um, and I should also say, Jenny is not a client of mine. I have no professional relationship with her. She's just a really nice human being that's just offered to to do this session for the betterment of everyone. So on behalf of everyone, thank you so much, Jenny. Uh, thank you, PK. I appreciate all that you do for the community. Thanks so much. All right, guys. Well, hopefully that brought you a ton of value. If it did, let me know on whatever platform you want and I can do more and more of these sessions. Once again, my name's PK and thanks again, Jenny. Thanks, PK. Thanks, guys.